Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. show women's world cup daily the u.s world cup winning streak has been ended but there was plenty to be commended in a comeback draw against the dutch who bossed the midfield and had the better touch the netherlands saw that lindsey horan's banner was starred and spangly and like the incredible hulk they wouldn't like her when she's angry. Elsewhere, Portugal came to no harm when they easily dismissed Vietnam and the Aussies have it all to do after some bloopers against the Falcons, who are super. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, Mr. Taylor Rockwell. He's rubbing his temples, maybe... Did the, was the rhyming bad? The rhyming was bad, wasn't it? Don't tell me the rhyming no, was bad. No, I enjoyed it, man. It, okay. It's a challenge. Yeah. It is a challenge to come up with a a good rhyming scheme that also covers all of the basic points. I think you did well. I think you always do well with that. Thank you very much. I might have written the last one on the back of a piece of paper moments before we started recording. But, uh, it messy did style. not show at all. <laughs> Thank you very much. You're very kind. Uh, joining us also, Mr. Joseph Lowry. Joe telling us before we came on, he's never seen the movie Independence Day. Let's rectify that soon, Joseph. Yeah, I'll add it to the list that you all have given me. I'm, I'm very fortunate to have people with such educated film palettes. Um, this, I, I, don't, I don't know what to tell you guys to make it up to you at this point, other than you all look There's lovely today. There's nothing you can say. There's um, nothing you can say. Yeah, it's I'm just really, I'm It's just an egregious stop. mistake on your part, I have to say. Yeah. It's okay. We can fix it, Joe. We can fix it. There's plenty more time to watch the movies. Uh, joining us, though, Joseph, a man who stayed up until 4am watching the USWNT game, Graham Rutherford. Before we go any further in this podcast, we need to talk through a picture that you tweeted oh. of the things that you put in your body in order to stay awake for this game in right. on the European time zone. Um, would you like to walk us through? Um, I feel like this is a loaded question uh, from a man who messaged our group Slack very excitedly this morning to tell us all about a second cheesecake factory being built in Charlotte. Nice. Um, so I'm, not, Graham. Nice. I'm not sure that I'm willing to take shades or shots from you, Ryan, today on my dietary choices. But I will, I will, I will walk you through my uh, survival kit nonetheless. So um, I'm kind of doing this on the fly. I can't quite remember. There was. A yeah, big can of energy. Of That's why. <laughs> <laughs> there's a big can of energy monitor, a monster, a, a monster energy. Excuse me. Yep. There's a can of Red Bull. There's a chocolate milk in there. There's a liter of orange juice. There is five chocolate chip, chip cookies. There's a mm-hmm. bag of Skittles. There is a bag of Munchies. There's a box of Crunchy Nut Corn Flakes. I think I caught everything there. No, yeah, no, that's I'm staring at the kit. picture right now. You only missed one thing, Graham. Do you remember what it is? It's a beverage. Oh, a beer. It's a beer. It's a tropical it's beer. Yeah. yeah. It it's a, a tropical pale ale as well, Graham. Yeah. That's quite a combo. I, I, we, we need to get into the order. Maybe we need to get into this on our Patreon yeah. feed. Yes, Patreon, Patreon, so, Patreon. Full episode. Okay, Patreon. I'll keep it for the Patreon. <laughs> yeah, go, go to uh, patreon.com forward slash Total Soccer Show and I'll walk you through my method there. 
This is why Joe and Ryan are smart, because I think I could have easily made this into a 20-minute opening segment. It probably is better as a Patreon (laughs) episode. I have questions, Graham. I have questions, uh, and they're all genuine. They're not snarky. Well, some of them are snarky. Yeah, we've got nothing important important to talk about today anyway, so yeah, we could just have a 20-minute opening segment on this. No bother. Uh, Well, yeah, we'll go patreon.com slash Show for more on that. Most of mine will be snarky, FYI. (laughs) Uh, USA 1, Netherlands 1. 27,000 fans in Wellington in, surely the headline here, actual sunshine in New Zealand for this tournament, which was probably (laughs) the most impressive thing about this game. Uh, Biggest match of the tournament yet. Captain Lindsay Horan uh, rescuing a point, cancelling out uh, Miss Rule's excellent opener. Ended the US's run of 13 straight wins at the World Cup. Ended the Netherlands' nine-game winless streak against the United States. The first goal the US have conceded in the group stage since the opening match of the 2015 World Cup. Taylor, I'm going to say this didn't necessarily go to plan. No, I I don't think it did at all. I I think with that said, the U.S. can maybe feel optimistic about the fact that they turn it around, they end up getting the point. I think we can talk about how they did that and how it's not entirely convincing. But I say that because that first half, I tweeted this, I felt like it could be 3 or 4-0 as a final score if the U.S. didn't change things. It could have been 3 or 4-0 in the opening 20 minutes. They looked completely outplayed. They had very little answer for what the Dutch were doing, both technically and tactically. Uh, and and the Dutch, for their part, did not look overawed by the situation, looked very much motivated. Uh, their coach has talked publicly about how it felt like the U.S. were there for the taking and don't really have that many advantages. And I did not see the Dutch backing down at all. I saw the U.S. make a few little adjustments at halftime, and I think they did have somewhat of a difference, I would say, the Dutch maybe themselves are to blame slash credit for the United States getting back into this one. So overall, not the worst result, but I think very worrying signs for for me and a lot of other U.S. fans. Yeah, as a as a neutral of sorts, I, I thought this was one of the best matches of the tournament so yeah. far, if not the best match so far. Both teams have their flaws, obviously, but they were also strong in periods as well, and there was intensity. And an edge, um, which you kind of referenced, Taylor, with some of the comments from Andres Jonker before this match. And I just thought it was a fantastic spectacle. And we spoke yesterday about how sometimes when you get heavyweight matches in the group stage, they can be a bit of a damp squib. And there's almost an acceptance, you know, we're the two best teams in this group. Shall we just put this off until later in the tournament? I didn't get that sense at all from this match. And instead, I got a real sense of how much this match meant to the Netherlands. Obviously, a rematch of the 2019 um, final. And then even in the second half, the response from the US, I thought, was really, really compelling. And I don't know if it, it changed. I don't know if it moved the needle in terms of my opinion on a, on a, in a tactical sense of this team. And I think we've certainly got some gripes of some of the decisions that Vlatko made during this match and before this match. But at least in terms of the, um, of the spirit and the togetherness of this group, this was the first time that I, I feel like we've seen that in this tournament. I think, Joe, for me, the, the the headline of this game in many ways was a game of two halves. In the first half in particular, the US being quite sloppy, it felt like the he- the touches were much heavier than I expected. The defensive shape wasn't quite there. It didn't seem like a US WNT team to me in many respects. I, I would agree with a lot of that. I think you know, we, we gave in our Slack a lot of flack to some of the, the comments that were made on various broadcasts during halftime about just needing to go out there and try harder and do oh. more and all those things. Go ahead, oh, Taylor. I have more to say about that, Joe. Okay, don't you we'll, we'll circle back. <laughs> I, I poke fun at that stuff all the time. Like, Graham, Graham, I try not to poke fun during your Ireland's preview, but, like, we, we talked about some of the intangible side and how that's really hard to measure. I wasn't, wasn't making fun, but we had a legitimate discussion about that. What I will say is I don't think the U.S., was intense enough to start this game. I think they they did not have a response 
when they go down 1-0, and we'll talk about some of the factors that led to that goal, to the point where basically they wasted the last 38 minutes of the first half after the goal was scored in the 17th minute. 38, that's not right, 28 minutes. No, I can't do math. Regardless, you get the idea. They wasted the latter portion of the first half. It is 28. I'm very, very smart. Just trying to find their way back into the game. Like, like they couldn't, they didn't have any real answers. They weren't responding quickly enough to what the Dutch were doing. Now that said, things did get better in the second half. And I, I guess I, I would not go nearly as far as Taylor did in his opening comments about the Dutch being able to score four or five goals. Like they had two shots to the U.S.'s nine in the first half. Now they did have the best chance of the half probably with that goal that is scored. But even that, a lot of things had to go wrong for that goal to actually hit the back of the net. I'm not defending the U.S. in this first 45, to be clear. I think my track record talking about this team makes that very, very clear. I thought this was, on the whole, a disappointing performance for the U.S. in what could have been a standout game for energy reasons, for tactical reasons, maybe for some substitution reasons. We'll talk about that. I think there's some nuance to be had there with that discussion. But in general, I thought this was a a pretty eh performance from the U.S., which frankly is, is a lot of what I've come to expect from this team during the Vlako Andonovsky era. Yeah, and and the fact there has been such a reaction to this game tells you how high the standards have been. So when the Dutch score their go-ahead goal in this match, that was the first time the US had been trailing in a Women's World Cup match since the quarterfinals against Brazil in 2011, which is just, like, incredible and tells you, like, how dominant this this team has been. Um, Joe, I, I broadly agree with the, the first half. The first half was bad. At halftime, I'm feeling pretty negative about the US. I actually felt, if you look at the first 15 minutes, or at least up until the goal, they started relatively it was fine. okay. Yeah, it was fine. Yeah, so b- both teams were playing with intensity at possession, and initially the US seemed to handle that better than the Dutch, who looked a bit shaky playing out from the back, and the US were doing a good job of blocking the passing channels for the, the Netherlands' back three, and Van Domselaar, the, the goalkeeper, very nearly gets caught out on, on, on the ball inside her own box in, in one moment. At that point, things are looking pretty good for the US. Then the Dutch score... In the 17th minute, we can maybe break down what what happens in that in that moment a little bit later on, and that seemed to change the dynamic. And I wouldn't say the Netherlands did anything different after that; they just did it better. There was conviction in their passing, the way that they were punching balls into the middle and then spreading it out to the wide areas. Obviously, the US and in particular Taylor and I were messaging about this during the game. The way that Crystal Dunn was being mm-hmm pushed inside and there was a couple moments where you could see it in her head her going oh I've got to push inside here and that was leaving space out for um, Palova on the, on the right side so there were the, the US disintegrated a little bit and that helped the, the Netherlands but yeah, it wasn't that the Netherlands after the goal did anything differently. They, d- they were just doing it better. The players were in open, open positions to receive the ball, whereas the US possession play was congested. And as I say, the goal was, a, I hate the cliche, you know, goal change games. But in this particular instance, it did feel like things flipped at that moment. To be honest, I disagree with you guys. I, I think if you go back and watch, to me at least, I see the Dutch being more aggressive. I see them moving the ball better. Yes, there's the moment when Van Domselaar almost gets caught. There's also the moment when the U.S. try to press, and she chips it over the U.S. press uh, to Books, and then the Dutch play out of the press again. And they did that a number of different times. They ha- they're a little bit sloppy in the final third or transitioning into the like attacking half, and that's where I think they, they didn't have as many clear-cut opportunities. Joe, you're right. It's not as though they were just like peppering the goal. But it felt like they were really able to play out of the U.S. press on a consistent basis. And this is where I have like a three-part criticism of Fox. But this is a big part of it, is that from the jump, it's Ali Wagner saying, 
uh, you know, we play this way. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. I, I do not like that in commentary. I don't like JP Della Camera referring to certain players by their first names. I hate when he calls Alex Morgan Alex, for example. Uh, but it, it, it also bothers me because I think when you start to cover the game that way, you lose objectivity and you're no longer paying attention to what the opposition is doing. And it, and it seemed like their commentary and then the halftime analysis was all the U.S. isn't good enough. The U.S. is sloppy. The U.S. is making heavy touches. The U.S. can't figure it out as though the Dutch weren't presenting a myriad of problems and it starts with what Graham was talking about it's a midfield overload uh Lika Martins moving uh excuse me not Lika Martins uh Danielle van der Donk moving central Crystal Dunn I think was was meant to track her because the idea I guess was that she would be playing wide but when van Donk goes central uh van der Donk goes central Crystal Dunn has to follow her that opens up the entire right channel for uh Pilova to get forward and then even when the Dutch would maybe overhit a cross or a cross would be flicked out to the far side if it came in from the left Crystal Dunn would then have to sprint 30 yards to try to make a play on that ball. And the U.S. would all have to kind of cover and shift. And there were so many gaps presented and so many mismatches across the pitch. I think that goes a long way towards explaining why the U.S. weren't able to get back into this. For me, Joe, this is like your thesis statement this first half about why we should be concerned about Vlatko. Because it, it seemed like the tactics weren't right from the jump. But then also the U.S. really struggled to adjust on the fly. Yeah. And 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 to your like, as you said, I think spend most of the first half just kind of trying to limit the damage, see it out. And then at halftime, I think they do make some adjustments. So he gets a little credit uh, for that for me. But largely, I thought this was the Dutch having a really smart game plan, putting numbers where they needed to be to create overloads and create possibilities. And I thought they played the better game overall. Yeah, I I, I would definitely I think we've established I probably wouldn't go that far. I I do want to be clear, like this wasn't. This wasn't a good performance from the U.S. You know, Graham's talking about it being fine the first 15 minutes, and I do think it was fine. They they were maybe the marginally better team in terms of the chances early on, but, like, only marginally. And you look at these two squads, and the U.S. is the better team. Like, they come into this game as the favorite. They're, they're the defending world champions two times over. The expectations, people get, you know, in a little bit of a, a hiss about the expectations being so high. Well, that's because of how good this team has been and how much quality there is. We should expect great things from this group. And the reality is that we didn't see that in this match. I think, Taylor, you are wise to spotlight some of the challenges that the Netherlands were posing to the U.S. Now, those challenges weren't really active in the U.S.'s defensive third, which is why, you know, the Dutch don't end up with a lot of chances. But they did control the first half. Like, they they had 61% possession in the first half, if not necessarily the chances to go along with it. But what that did was that it reduced the U.S.'s opportunities to go and get a goal. Like, the U.S. defended a ton in this first 45 minutes. They defended a, a bit in the second half as well, but things did change, and we'll talk about that. But the U.S. defended a lot, and when they did have the ball, it was the same old story that we've come to expect from the U.S. over the last several years, which was things not clicking in the attack. Like, if I'm talking about the Dutch not creating a lot, let's be honest, the U.S. didn't create much of anything either. Like, they had more shots. It was 9-2 to two in the first half, but they, they didn't create clear-cut opportunities through any repeatable sorts of actions like they would they would find Sophia Smith or or Trinity Rodman or Alex Morgan the starting front three and for the U.S. in this game they would find those players between the lines like in front of the Dutch back line and there would be no support like the players would receive back to goal and have no idea what the picture was around them because the U.S. almost never have an idea of what that picture is and so between the fact that the Netherlands had so much of the ball they were breaking lines to, to pretty strong effect early on in this match the U.S. just didn't ever have a chance in the first 45 minutes to take a breath to figure out how they wanted to play and go out and execute and really impose themselves. Yeah. And that, I thought, was a real issue. 
I do also think, again, to give credit to the Dutch, I think they were baiting the U.S. pretty pretty consistently with that approach. Ali Wagner kept talking about how the U.S. have 3v3. We've got man-v-man up top. Let's see what we can do. Uh, really did not love that. Uh, but I, to me, that was bait because I, I think when, when it's 3v3 and you're the United States, you think, oh, we'll get it in. We'll create something, no problem. But as a result, I felt like they kept trying to go direct to any one of those front three attackers. But when they would do so, they were doing so from... 30, 40 yards away. So, Joe, you're right. There's no support. But it also meant that that attacker would often have to chase the ball down if it was played, like, wide. Then they have to collect it with a player on their back and either try to beat that person 1v1, but by turning and going into them, or by having to move the ball backwards or to try to make something happen and and giving the ball away. But it it felt to me like that was sort of a... I I don't even know how to explain it. Like, a little bit of a trap, essentially, that I think because it felt like an opportunity for the United States, they kept going for it. But I think the Dutch wanted them to go for that because, sure, play it long. Don't really establish any control. Don't establish possession. We'll handle that defensive responsibility, and then we'll reestablish possession, and now you have to chase us. And I think the telling moment for me was at the very end of that first half. Um, it's basically the Dutch are building an attack, and the U.S. just have to, like, foul because they're they're gassed. They're tired. They can't make up that ground. And and I, I that, to me, was another example of the Dutch sort of controlling things. I think when you're 1-0 up against the United States, you don't have to go for two or three if, if you don't want to. And I think the, the Dutch, for their part, just really played yeah. the game they wanted to. Second half, less so. Taylor, is the, is the Dutch goal also another sign of, of that bait working where the, the Dutch kind of punch that ball into the center of the pitch and, and the U.S. midfield structure mm-hmm. is both fragmented and because of the midfield overload that you outlined as well, which I, by the time we got to halftime, that felt like a match-defining yep. issue. That was like the thing the U.S. needed to fix. And we can talk about what changed in the second half and whether they did fix that. But that was like a match-defining issue. And the, and the first goal... It's just not a good moment for the team as a collective, but also a couple of individuals. So first of all, um, Andy Sullivan jumps in, but doesn't fully commit to the engagement and, and in a way skips, I think it's uh, Leakey Mertens in that moment. Joe, I, I know you have some thoughts on Andy uh, Andy Sullivan, but if she's not offering a lot in possession, which I didn't think she did in this game, and she's poor in these moments... Um, I'm struggling a little bit. Yeah. I'm not entirely sure what she's offering. And then there's the the done moment as as well, where she has, as we've already covered, she was a bit central in 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 moments. Um, a poor clearance is in there as well. Poor poor execution. But yeah, the most concerning thing for the US was that there were a couple more opportunities like this, which maybe don't end in a shot. The final pass or or or, or the shot is missing. But the Dutch had a few sequences like this where you could see the failings in the US structure. Yeah, yeah. One one note for me on Andy Sullivan, because I've, I've waited long enough. Like, if Taylor's amped up about some different things, this is the one that I'm amped up about mm-hmm. for this game. We didn't talk about the lineup. This is the exact same 11 that Vladko Andonovsky used against Vietnam in that 3-0 win. The exact same starting 11. And really, there were two surprises in there. The general mainstream media coverage coming into this match was that was predicting that Rose Lavelle would start. She did not. She came off the bench at halftime and came and, and played a, a very solid role in the second half, and I would expect that we will see her role continue to grow after she played less than 45 minutes in the first game. We learned after the match that she was on a minutes restriction and could only go 45. So that one made sense and was explained very clearly. It was Savannah DeMello starting in, in her place yet again in this match. The other thing that was a bit of a surprise was we saw Julie Ertz at center back once again next to Naomi Gurma, which was not something we'd ever seen before that game against Vietnam. Julie Ertz had come on to play as the number six against Ireland in her return to the national team in both games 
off the bench back in April. So that was that was new. Not Julie Ertz being a new player to the center back position, but those players together and Ertz in the year of 2023 at center back was a new thing. So we had those two really surprises. And what Ertz at center back means for the U.S. is that Andy Sullivan eats up all the minutes at the number six spot. And I tweeted before the game, uh, I don't get it. I don't understand it. But what Vlatko is telling us with this lineup decision of Julie Ertz at center back is that he believes coming into this game that the improvement from Alana Cook to Julie Ertz, Alana Cook was the the expected starter at center back next to Naomi Gurma. He, he believes that the improvement from Cook to Ertz at center back is bigger than the potential improvement from Sullivan to Ertz at the six. That that's it, It's as simple as that. Like, there's no other way to think about this. Vlaco believes that there is a bigger gap from Cook to Ertz in the back line than there is from Sullivan to Ertz in midfield. I, I categorically disagree with that. And I think this goal that the Netherlands score is like the perfect example as to why that's the case. Andy Sullivan slides over. She is a little bit overloaded in midfield. The U.S. are, are not in a great spot in some of their defensive moments in the first half. The front three match up well on paper with the Dutch back three when the U.S. are trying to press up against them but they weren't very aggressive at all with the press in this first 45 minutes. They were like kind of half-heartedly pressing in moments and other times they would extend a bit harder. But in general, those center backs did have some time to pick out passes. And in this moment, they do pick out a pass in the midfield. Andy Sullivan slides over because at times she is dealing with the 2v1 in that part of the field. She slides over and has a chance to make a challenge. Like she goes in trying to make a tackle and, and just whiffs. And like that is, Graham, you said it well. If, if Andy Sullivan's not bringing you much in possession, which she doesn't, her biggest appeal is being able to make these kinds of tackles, and she can make them. But the question is for this team is, can she make them as often or as effectively as Julie Ertz makes them? And I think it's always been clear that the answer is no, even if Julie Ertz isn't 100% fit. And so this was a this was a tough moment for me to, to see this team, to see a pretty predictable problem, uh, and, and to see Andy Sullivan come in and, and not really show what the U.S. needs from someone in that part of the field. That breakdown from Sullivan in that moment, I think, was one of, if not the biggest key that sent the U.S. down to goal in the first half. Plenty more to get into with this game. We're going to take a quick break, excuse me, and we'll be back shortly. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation, there's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly, there's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there, there's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain, there are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively, but for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. 
Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our Women's World Cup Daily. T-Rock, pick up the mantle, please. We've got plenty more to talk about with this game. I shall. Uh, I know we need to get to the second half, because we've pretty much spent all of our time in the first half and just teased that second half analysis. But Joe, I think, just did a really great job of, of explaining why Julia Ertz should maybe be playing in a different position. Uh, and, and for me, uh, I'm realizing now that that is a great argument, because though she does have the, I would say, game-saving tackle in the 80th minute that yeah, blocks that example. really great Dutch chance, like, yes, she makes a great defensive play there, but I would say she's more likely to make those great defensive plays in the heart of midfield, which would be ideal and not getting turned. But the other thing I would say is that, like, I have played, certainly not at this level, but I have played in games when you are tactically outmatched but you as the individual in the game state can't really identify that. And so you're trying to do everything you've been asked to do, but if everything you're asked to do sort of plays into what the opposition wants you to do, then ultimately you're going to look slow, you're going to look bad, and that can get so, so frustrating that you can see individuals break down, you can see just the overall team morale erode. And I think that, again, is where Julie Ertz is such an important figure. I have to believe that Julie Ertz as a central midfielder is... is laying into people, is having words, is making people come central, is going to direct traffic a little bit more than Andy Sullivan just because she's a veteran, because she has that experience and she has that confidence and self-belief. So I think Joe's nailed it, that that is another confusing aspect of this team that I think Julie Ertz could play in a number of positions, but I think where she should be playing is centrally in that midfield. Taylor, if I could dig into something you said earlier in the first half about Vlatko's adjustments. Mm -hmm. This is obviously, as Joe mentioned, a a same starting 11 as previously. Mm -hmm. One substitute made, not taking advantage Mm -hmm. of the depth in this team. And when that substitute is made, it's pretty pivotal as well. And there's a reasonably obvious midfield overload with a three versus a four or a five, Mm -hmm. which is going on for some time. How much of this do we attribute to like just unobservant game management? I don't know what we call it. Like, is it how much are we putting this on Vlatko and essentially in the way he's going about this um i mean i think if it's if it's a a one-off which i'm sure plenty of people would say it is not then it's just sort of the other manager having a better game plan leading into this game uh and then it, it's sort of one manager relying on their proven tactics and then having to adjust where i would be of more concerned and am more concerned is that it felt like the united states had no real answers to 
obvious problems presented by the Dutch. Sometimes it was Crystal Dunn moving central. Sometimes it was Alex Morgan dropping back. But I also felt like the really obvious solution right away was that if Crystal Dunn is marking Van de Donk when she goes central and Palova is now having that entire right-hand side, then somebody has to get back and defend. And it's not a shot at Sophia Smith. It's not a shot at Trinity Rodman. But both of them would get back, but it was sort of a slow jog back into position. And that, to me, felt like the tactical briefing was stay high, stay on those those center backs, exploit any 1v1 opportunities, we'll find you the ball, we'll be ball dominant. And that was not the case in this game. And I think in that moment, if you're Vlatko, you've got to throw that plan out the window. And it's got to be, everybody get back. We've got to defend. We've got to make sure we're marked up and have everything blocked off the best we can. And then we'll figure it out at halftime. I don't think they did that. I think they got a little bit fortunate that the Dutch didn't take more of the game, didn't take more control. This is where I would say I do give him some credit that, it's minor adjustments. I think Joe already explained it. Rose Lavelle comes on. That felt like a pre-planned substitution. But it felt much more like a 4-2-3-1 to me in the second half. And it felt much more like a very organized 4-2-3-1 where you now had all the numbers routinely on one side of the pitch just completely trying to suffocate the Dutch when they were in possession. And even when the Dutch would eventually be able to switch and they weren't nearly as able to do that in the second half because there were so many numbers crowded, you then had uh, the wide attacker and the and the wide fullback on whichever side like hustle 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 to close down and limit and then the whole team would slide over and so though there were still mismatches here and there for the most part it felt to me like that shape gave the United States much more control because you basically had five players in the sort of midfield area or in the space where the ball was for the United States uh, and and then you saw the Dutch just start to not have the possession they did not be able to be calm on the ball the way they were they didn't have little five-yard pockets of space anymore. They were coming under fire much faster. And so in that way, I give credit to Vlatko. But I would say, I think a lot of the second half comes down to fatigue for the Dutch and a little bit similar to, uh, who did Ireland end up losing against the other day? Canada. Canada, thank you. Similar thing, where I think unexpectedly up 1-0, doing everything you can to see it out. But I think... As the game goes on, the United States starts to build momentum, throw numbers into the attack. I think you could see the Dutch start to panic and make mistakes and pass the ball to the U.S. and kick it long. And I think it was a combination of the United States making some adjustments, but I think the Dutch getting tired and the Dutch getting way, way less calm on the ball, much more nervous. And they started making individual mistakes that I think ceded control of the game to the U.S. as it went on. Yeah, I would agree with a lot of that. I think Rose Lavelle's entrance into the game was key in, in both of these matches so far. We've seen how much better Rose Lavelle makes this team. And that is a genuine encouragement to me mm-hmm. as someone who is, has not been super impressed by either of these matches so far. But also, I believe that we haven't seen the best version of the U.S. for more than 45 minutes at a time. And so that is encouraging, even as there's a lot of reasons to be somewhat down on this team. The biggest thing that I thought changed, Graham, you mentioned the midfield overload and, and sort of wondering if there were any changes that, that sort of the U.S. made to help fix that. I didn't notice a lot of that because... The Dutch didn't have as many sequences where they're building out with their back three wide and trying to break through the U.S. between the lines because they were more defensive. And I think there are a couple of reasons for that. One is the game state, the fact that they're up 1-0. So the state of the game then dictates that they, they maybe don't need to be as aggressive and as uh, leave themselves as exposed defensively for potential U.S. transitions, even though that wasn't a big problem in the first half. So the Dutch, maybe, maybe because of the scoreline, Taylor, you mentioned fatigue. 
That's a, a potential possibility as well, certainly. The other thing is, I thought the U.S. was just more aggressive with their press. I mentioned in the first yeah. half, you know, the front three for the U.S. Would, would sort of step to the Dutch center backs, but not entirely. And the U.S. do get some pressure on the, the first line-breaking pass for the Dutch's for the Netherlands goal in the first half, but it's not like anybody breathing down their necks. So in the second half, it felt to me like the U.S. did turn the dial up to 11 and said, hey, we are going to press more. We are going to try to impose our will because that's that's how we want to go out and approach games. Like, that's how we want to win. That's a big part of, of how we want to play. And Rose Lavelle, I thought, was a, a big part of that, genuinely. Uh, we have, for, for backfield, we have NWSL midfielder and, and current U.S. youth international, Brianna Pinto, writing articles for us some throughout this tournament. And she pointed this out. And I, I didn't really think about this before Brianna wrote this, but she said like one of Lavelle's unsung qualities is her defensive presence, like her ability in the counter press. She's always buzzing around the ball. Like she's constantly light on her toes. She's always near the action. Now she, she kind of has the, uh, the very slight frame that makes it hard to really win a lot of those 50 fifties, but she's going to be in the mix to then let someone like Lindsay Horan or Andy Sullivan come in and make that final challenge to help the U.S. win the ball back. And so it yeah. really wasn't, for me, like any giant yeah. tactical change in the attack or in the defense. It was just kind of like a couple of small things that changed the momentum. Suddenly the U.S. have the ball. They are bearing down on the Dutch. They're actually, you know, at least in the final third, if not creating lovely moments in the final third. They start to win corner kicks. They start to get set pieces. Bada bing, bada boom. Lindsay Horan gets really angry and we see the Hulk and then she scores a goal and the U.S. are finally back in the game. <laughs> the Hulk indeed. Uh, Joe, yeah, I, thank you for that. Uh, and I think when Rose Lavelle is then applying that initial pressure and is making the Dutch midfielder a Dutch defender turn and play the ball back or, or sort of look for a supporting teammate and plays the ball to them, the United States, I think, uh, and, and this kind of bridges where we both are, I think in that second half just has more numbers closer to the ball. Rose Lavelle chief among them, but I felt like in the first half, if a, a Dutch player did come under pressure and did have to recycle possession and it went back to a center back, then it was center back receives. And now Alex Morgan closes down and then the center back plays to another center back. And now Trinity Rodman closes down. And I think in the second half, it was plays to a center back. Alex Morgan is there. Center back tries to play to the other center back. Trinity Rodman is there. Center back kicks it out of bounds. And, and it just, it was so much more alert and responsive and just faster in that approach. I think you're totally right, Joe. That, that press just intensified. But I think the spacing closing down allowed that press to stay intense. Uh, and the U.S. didn't get nearly as fatigued as they would have if they were trying to press while still being pretty spread out as a team. Um, Graham, to dig into the goal a little bit more, see so Roosevelt with the corner uh, and Horan getting a, a good held in and a really nice run to make herself free in the yeah. box for that one. But it comes, as we've no uh, noted, a few minutes after uh, a clash with her Leon teammate, Daniel van der Donk. Um, I think Jamie Vardy has a phrase for this kind of situation, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Um, <laughs> but it, it was reminiscent of, I think you put it in our Slack, Ronaldo against Rooney when they were Manchester United teammates at the Euros. So. I also felt a bit, it had the same vibe. as remember when Rooney was shouting at the referee and then two seconds later turns around and scores like a 40-yard oh, yeah, banger. Volley, yeah. It had that same energy, I thought, as well. But, uh, yeah, basically, it, the, mo the moral of the story is don't mess with Lindsay Horan yeah, at yeah. any moment. Um, so before the corner kick, there is a, a pretty rough tackle from Danielle van der Donk on Lindsay Horan that Horan takes exception to, as you say, Ryan, club teammates for Leon. So that adds an, a, another layer to it. And 
So what happens in that moment is Haran, she comes back onto the pitch. Does she complain to the referee about the tackle or does she go to Van der Dong nah. to have out with her and then the referee kind of acts as peacemaker? Is that what happens? She, she comes on as the US is getting set to take the corner. You can see it from one angle. It's not quite a beeline for Van der Donk, but she goes right up to Van der Donk pretty quickly. And then you can see her sort of bump and, and say something at the same time. Van der Donk kind of turns and then the referee is in there trying to settle it down which led to one of my favorite moments of the game when the referee separates them. They're, they're walking away. Lindsay Rand has her back to Van de Donk, is walking back towards the U.S. like sideline, sort of. Uh, Van de Donk has a word, and you can see Lindsay Horan turn around, point at her, and definitely tells her to... Uh, invites her to close her mouth, uh, but maybe adds <laughs> some different, more colorful words in there. Then I think the mic also had previously caught Lindsay Horan when she was getting treatment uh, with some more <laughs> spicy language towards Van der Donk. Uh, she was not a big fan, I think, of her teammate. They made up afterwards. There was a little bit of a hug. Yeah. In the postgame, she said, uh, yeah, I, you know, I said some things I, or whatever. Stay away from me. Stay away from like me. That. That's what was in the hug. At least for the theatre of the moment, I think they could have stayed angry at each other at full time. I know, obviously, Van der Donk was late for a swimming lesson. She had to go off and, uh, and do that. But like, so, <laughs> so that thing, hold on, hold on. That We need to talk about that thing for a moment. What? Why? I've never seen that before. Put a swimming cap on a player for a, Dude, for a bleeding head. It's such a thing that, like, like because it's the Dutch, and I, I guess I have so much respect for them as a footballing country, and, you know, like progressive country, whatever. As I see them do that, I'm like, oh, well, they must know something we don't. Like, if any other country <laughs> did that, I'd be like, idiots. <laughs> but when it's the Dutch, I'm like, oh. They're, it's the same thing with, like, I, I don't know. There's a few other countries that I think if they did that, I'd be like, oh, they must know something about concussion the- protocol and, I don't know, Skull stability that we don't. Swimming caps, <laughs> the, the, the medical device we didn't know. Skull stability. <laughs> there think... was a look as well from Van der Donk when she's on the ground. Like, is this a joke? Am I actually yeah. going to have to play the last five minutes of this match? I actually loved, I know, obviously, um, we lean towards Haran in, the, uh, in this battle between the two players, but I love Van der Donk, how she is, you know, physically quite a short and slight player, but she she gives as good as she gets in those moments. And it was like yeah. one of the most interesting things about the second half was that running battle, not just with Lindsay Horan, but with Crystal Dunn as well. There were a few moments because Van der Donk gets moved to the right side of the, the midfield three for the Netherlands and those two were up against each other. Yeah, I had a great time watching that. Yeah, uh, I agreed. Retweet all of that. And, and I think we nailed some of that, that UFC discussion. One, one more beat from me on the goal, right? Because if, if I'm trying to find silver linings throughout this game, which was objectively like a pretty mediocre to fine to bad performance, depending on your perspective, but probably not <laughs> more than that, right? Like, really I don't think, it, there. <laughs> I think it's hard to trend positive on this performance in yeah. any real way. But there are real positives in this performance. Rose Lavelle being back is is one of them, and, and her role increasing is certainly a part of that. And she plays a role on the set piece that wins the game, or that, that wins a point for the U.S. And that, I think, is another major positive, is Juilliard's coming back has a lot of value in a lot of different ways, but maybe the biggest way is set pieces. To have both her and Lindsay Horan in the box together on all of these set piece moments is like, it's a cheat code, frankly. We saw against Vietnam them create some issues in the box and set pieces, not ever creating directly creating a goal with it, but they had some success in that way. And they score a goal in this moment. And, and let's uh, fast forward briefly to Portugal. Portugal, horrific defending set pieces. They give up a goal against the Dutch on a set piece. That's the only goal the Netherlands score in that first game. Six of their eight non-own goals or penalties at the Euros last two summers ago, last summer, whatever that was, were conceded from set pieces. Like they are, are tragic when it comes to that part of the game. That's something to watch. But this goal in particular... It's such a good example of how effective the U.S. can be 
with Ertz and Haran in the box together. It's zonal marking from the Netherlands, and Julie Ertz makes the first run. She goes and sort of curves towards the corner, the near side corner of the six-yard box. Rose Lavelle is, is getting ready to swerve uh, in an inswinger, and she, she brings the ball into the box. Julie Ertz makes the run first, distracts that zonal marker that's responsible for that part of the field. Lindsey Haran comes in behind, rises up, now is in space because Ertz has taken away the first marker. They've essentially overloaded that zone, and Lindsey Haran thumps the ball into the back of the net, and it's 1-1. And that, to me, of anything we saw in this game, for all the talent that's on the field for the U.S., that is the thing that makes me think, okay, like if the U.S. are going to score a goal against most teams in this competition, it's either going to be Sophia Smith doing something crazy, or it's going to be Lindsey Haran or Julie Ertz causing real issues in the box. This is interesting, because I, I sort of see it the other way. So maybe I have to go back and watch. But I saw the Dutch in a hybrid zone. Uh, so people who are... I, I don't know, newer to the game. Uh, my mom uh, has asked me multiple questions via text uh, while listening to the show. So I'm going to guess she doesn't know zone or hybrid zone. Zone is where you're defending your specific area when the ball comes in. You're meant to attack it if it comes into your zone. Uh, like man marking, individual marking, you're marked up 1v1. Uh, and then the hybrid zone would be you have certain zones that you are protecting, and then you're also defending individuals uh, as best you can. And it felt to me like that's what the Dutch had, and then they were trying to mark those runners except that Lindsey Rand is completely unmarked, completely unmarked. And I don't know how the Dutch allowed that to happen if they were going with that hybrid zone. Joe, maybe you're right, and it was just fully zoned. But either way, she runs completely uncontested. You have to have somebody making her adjust her run. Maybe she has to take a step to the side. Maybe she has to get around them. But for her to just be able to attack that ball the way she does is fairly unforgivable when it comes to defending set pieces. What I thought was really interesting was the U.S. on the next corner, they were spotlighting Lindsay Horan as they were getting set to take it. And she pulls over Sophia Smith. She says, Soph, and brings her over and leans in. And to me, pretty clearly says, they're not marking me. And then shoves her in front of her to block the defender and makes the same run. And it's a little bit under hit by Rose Lavelle. It's cleared this time. But if that defender hadn't been protecting that zone or hadn't been doing it as effectively, maybe Julie Ertz isn't able to make that run. To your point, Joe, I think that's that's another goal for Lindsey Horan. So it's positive in that I think they identified that, went for it, and pulled it off. At the same time, it still felt like a lapse from the Dutch allowed the U.S. back in, which is maybe how every goal works. It's a defensive lapse combined with the attacking team taking advantage. I just think I would have liked to see the United States create more from open play in that second oh, half. for sure. it did yeah. sort of feel to me yeah. like they scored a goal in a set piece, the Dutch were dominant in the first half, it was sort of back and forth in the second that doesn't add up to the U.S. turned it around and figured things well, out. Okay, sorry, Graham, I know you're about to talk. Uh, uh, do, you, do you think it was back and forth in the second half, Taylor? Like, again, I, I don't know how I've sort of established the role as, like, U.S. defender for parts of this show because I was not no, expecting that to yeah. be my role. But that just didn't have a shot till the 80th minute in the second half. Yeah. Did you feel like the United States were truly threatening, though? Because I didn't. No, I feel like no, but that doesn't, mean it's back, that doesn't mean it's back and forth, right? It, like, it soccer is, that, is a bit more nuanced than that, I think. I mean, what do you mean? Like, like the U.S. control, if you're talking about the Dutch dominating the first half mm -hmm. and they didn't really create chances, but they controlled the ball, the same was kind of true of the U.S. in the second half where they controlled the ball and set up shop on the final third. I'm not trying to say the U.S. were great in this game. They absolutely were not. But, I mean, the Dutch didn't have much going for them in the second Because they're up 1-0, Joe. Because they're up 1-0. Like, that's the thing that I feel like you're not adding into this equation. If you are losing the game in the United States, you have to be going for it. You have to create more. You have to be more aggressive. I think they were more aggressive in their defensive approach, but I don't think they made life particularly uncomfortable for the Netherlands, who I think were happy for that game to finish 1-0. I think they were happy yeah. for that game to finish 1-1. So, I agree with no, all you're right, it wasn't back and forth. Yeah. 
But I, I think more so it did not feel like the United States really yeah. presented clear and obvious problems yes. for the Netherlands such that they had to change things. Agreed. Agree with all that. Uh, Didn't agree with the first part. Agreed with all that. <laughs> And I think a large part of that is down to a lack of productivity in the wide areas. So I have to hold my hands up here. I was totally wrong about the joy I thought the US wide players would have against the Dutch back three. It was a really ineffective game from Rodman in particular, who only had one successful take on. So I was nowhere near the five that I predicted for this match. And the stat sheet really didn't make for pretty reading. So Rodman had... 70 touches, lost possession 35 times. She was 10 for 23 with her passing as well. And then Sophia Smith had 48 touches. She lost, lost 35 times? I'm sorry, what? Yep. How was that and even possible? Sophia, Sophia Smith lost possession 26 times as well and because... was 8 for 18 with her passing. So, okay. every, time, Taylor, every time the ball touched a US foot when I saw it, it bounced yeah. off and went to a no. Dutch player. That's why. And really that backs up my argument about the first half being that like they thought 1v1 up top was working to them and I don't don't think it was i think it was inviting them to try to take people on and make something happen which i think led to a lot of losses of possession those numbers are like that's shocking to me that's got to include because i just checked fat mob and, and rodman had six dis she was dispossessed six times so i would assume there are like different ways to interpret that yeah yeah yeah, there is, there is, yeah and all i mean it's all a big bucket and we don't usually see those stats in that way but yeah, Ryan, you're right. Like it did feel like the ball was bouncing around a lot, and a lot of times, yeah. especially in the first half, it was not bouncing towards a US player. And that's surely where a change in the last twenty minutes of this match would have would have helped. Even from a like a personnel point of view, we've talked about Rose Lavelle and how even just having her um skill set helps the the US midfield. I think having Lynn Williams on the left side would have helped the US. Taylor, you talked about the defensive side of things, Lynn Williams um, is a player who is praised for her uh, contribution on the, on the defensive side of the ball. So Flack was concerned about that, which maybe he wasn't actually in this game, but if he is concerned about that, Lynn Williams um, offers something. She offers something as a goal threat as well. And one of the big things the US has going for it at this World Cup is squad depth. You know, we, we've, we've talked about tactical identity or a lack, a lack thereof and all that stuff but talent wise the US squad is stacked probably more than any other at this tournament so it was really wise of Vlatko not to use any of this de of that depth and, and hasn't used any of that depth in the two matches um, the bulk of this US team and I spoke yesterday about how Jorge Vilda was managing Spain's minutes and how I think the theory is anyway that will help them later in the tournament the bulk of this US team now has 180 minutes in the mm -hmm. legs already in the first two games which is not ideal. So even from from you know the 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 longer term picture of this tournament as a whole, I think a change a change or two would have helped the US even in the the kind of singular view of this match and going for the three points or 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 um or achieving the three points, a change would have helped as well. I, I just can't understand why. And that's been a big part of the post-match narrative. He's been asked about it. His answers was, weren't particularly convincing. He said it would take like two minutes for players to get up to the speed yeah. of the match. I mean, just really not <laughs> two minutes. Very Oh. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> Graham, I, I, I've thought a lot about this as to why you would only make the one one change. It's only the second time, I think, in the U.S.'s World Cup history they've only made one change, and that other time was a draw. So there you go. The only thing I can come, come up with is maybe the other reason why I'm more negative on this performance. I can see a scenario in which he thought, I'll play the starters the first two games, we'll have six points, and then the final game, we'll probably get a win we'll get a draw, whatever, it's seven points, we're good. And to me, that's that's the height of arrogance, that you are basically expecting to get results or expecting to not have to roll out your, your team or make changes so that you can rest players for that third game. I think he may still do that. We may still see them go with 
some new faces in the starting 11 uh, against the uh, against Portugal that could come back to bite them maybe it won't but it, it still to me speaks to a lack of sort of individual game preparation and management and more so looking at the group stage as a thing that they will definitely get through uh likely get through in first place and then we'll see what happens in the knockout round that's the only thing i can think of short of he doesn't have faith in a lot of his bench options which is a very worrying concern if that's the case wow well that that would belie the entire concept of in-game management if that was the approach but it's kind of kind of wild um yeah. it's perfectly possible though Tay-Tay, perfectly possible a wow. uh, big game of course coming out third game of the group against portugal 3 a.m eastern on tuesday 8 a.m for graham no pale ales for you for that one <laughs> graham hopefully um group e Speak with yourself, us yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no judgment here us on top with four points netherlands also with four points portugal with three vietnam not registering a point uh, um, in this group uh let's take a quick break when we come back uh, we're going to talk about portugal and by the way listener we'll probably dig into this u.s game a little bit more on our patreon but uh back shortly another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Total Soccer Show Women's World Cup Daily. We turn our attention now to Portugal, to Vietnam nil. Portugal now play the US with a place in the last 16 on the line. Things just got interesting, to quote a certain character from a TV show one time. Uh, their first victory in the World Cup, their first World Cup goals here as well for Portugal. Uh, Vietnam now eliminated. Ooh, what do we make of this one, Graham? Lovely uh, half volley from the cross for the opener, I thought, and some nice play in general here. Yeah, so first disclaimer from me is I slept through this match, which was quite remarkable given how much energy, energy drink that I uh, I had consumed watching the US game until 4am. <laughs> I did catch the highlights, so I'll, I'll weigh in with my thoughts first and then maybe uh, Taylor or Joe can, can add some more detail. This was much more attack-minded from Portugal. They started Kika Nazare as, as part of a, a front three um, quite a fluid front three, um, and that in itself made, I thought, a big difference. By the way, Kiki Nazareth, I'm, I'm not sure if I have mentioned this on the show, but she is uh, Jorge Mendes's first female player, so that tells you something about the future that she has ahead of her. Um, but it was an incredible start by Portugal, who looked like cutting through Vietnam every time they got the ball in the opening 20 minutes. They were 2-0 up after 20 minutes, which is obviously how it finishes. And Nazare was just doing so much damage in between the lines and, and, and finding space. And Je Jessica Silva, who was maybe the only bright um, spot for Portugal from their first game, certainly in an attacking sense, just felt like she had 
a bit more support around her with Nazare and Encarnasau, I think is how you say that. And obviously Portugal eased off in the second half, but damage had already already been done. This was a lot better from them than I expected and much more like the team we saw at the Euros last summer where they, they do have that kind of line-breaking ability, whether that's through um, you know punching passes through or ball-carrying ability. So I think the US, well, the US are certainly favourites for that last group stage game. This performance from Portugal, from a neutral's point of view, gets me excited for that match. And yeah. from a US point of view, would make me a little, just a little bit nervous and on edge. It definitely made me nervous. I, and I think that is the final thing that made me more negative about that US game, because it also makes me more negative about the USA's game against Vietnam. I felt like Joe and I talked a lot about this in the post game that it felt often that the United States recognized we can win this individually, we can re- rely on individuals to get the result against Vietnam, and ultimately they do with a 3-0 win. This Portugal team, especially in those opening 20, just looks so much more fluid. There was so much off-the-ball movement. There was so much good passing. There is individual skill. Certainly, there's back heels and there's flicks. But the opening goal is basically moving the ball quickly around the back line into midfield, back to the back line. But it's probing. You're pulling Vietnam out. You're trying to open them up. You're trying to find some gaps. And then they do. Uh, I think Vietnam over-pursue, over and it's uh, Jacinto, I believe, who shows uh, into into space. She receives the ball from Borges. Uh, then it's out wide to Alves, who's now making the run. As soon as the ball goes into Jacinto's feet, uh, Alves is at a full sprint down the line. Uh, Jacinto is able to play her down the line because now she's got space. Alves hits a perfect ball into the box, and it's 1-0. But all of that was going from slow possession to rapid build to rapid goal, and, and the way that they combined quickly in possession, the way they had the individual ability to execute. But th- there was a chance right before that when Kika uh, misses. Uh, this is further Fox annoyance. Warren Barton saying all she has to do is put her laces through it because she hit a Travella over the goal. And then in the replay realized that there was literally no way she could put her laces through it because of the way she was running with defenders on her and then said, even a toe poke would have done it. And just like, Warren Barton, just admit that you were wrong and you got this one, uh, maybe lazy. But there was, there was a chance there, then there's the goal, then there's like three more chances in rapid fire succession. It was a very strong, confident performance from Portugal, a Portugal team that was in a back three that had... Four, four midfielders or at least three attackers in the middle or three uh, midfielders in the middle. Like all of this feels very similar to what the Dutch were trying to do. And so there is an element for me of like if they come out and they try to possess and they take the game to the United States the way the Dutch did, I could see it being a slow start for the U.S., uh, especially if they are playing uh, some reserve players. This is where Joe comes in and tells me I'm crazy. Portugal are fine, but maybe not that great. Well, I don't know that you're crazy. I think the big question around this Portugal-Vietnam game mm-hmm. from the U.S. perspective is like how good are Vietnam? Right. If, if Vietnam are, are decent and Portugal beating them 2-0 and, and pretty much dominating this game 29 shots to five, which is, to be clear, not not as wide of a dominant margin as the U.S.'s win over Vietnam was like if, if Portugal are, are if, if Vietnam are, are really a solid team and Portugal just sort of passed away through them two goals in the first 21 minutes and never really were tested, then I think you feel great about this if you're if, if you're Portugal. So it just kind of depends on how you view Vietnam. I would give Portugal a pretty large asterisk just for this game, like we did with the U.S. I I don't think we have quite enough on Vietnam at this level to know really what kind of a test this is. What we do know is that Portugal played a completely different game. It was a much different lineup. They dominated the ball. They looked composed. None of those things were true against the Netherlands. So 
it, it, Portugal, even in themselves, are still kind of an unknown in terms of the, the intricacies of their setup against the United States and what we'll see next week. Uh, but, I mean, they, they absolutely looked better against Vietnam than they did against the Netherlands. I just don't think that's probably a big surprise. Joe, this is just slander against Chinese Taipei and uh, Thailand, <laughs> the two teams that Vietnam had to beat in their playoff after finishing fifth or sixth, I think, in AFC qualifying. How dare you? How dare yeah. you, sir? Yeah, it's on me. That is. <laughs> Joe, no slandering Chinese Taipei on the Total Soccer Show, please. Less of that. Thank you very much. Come on, Thailand. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Vietnam uh, eliminated here pretty disorganized in many ways Joe 43rd minute was their first and only shot on target they also had a touch in the opposition box which you didn't get against the US so things yeah. are on the up yeah I mean yeah. like it, it was I don't know I'm trying not to sound patronizing here it was it was genuinely cool to see Vietnam at this competition it is a shame we won't see more of them that is the cruel reality of the World Cup they were the worst team in this group coming into this competition. At least that was the expectation. They've proven that through two games. They're going to struggle against the Netherlands, who will try, I would imagine, to run up the score on this on this team because goal difference now with both the Dutch and the U.S. at four points is a real factor. And I think it is inarguable that the Netherlands have the easier of the final two games. Uh, so we'll see what that looks like. I believe the U.S. will then play, or in, in the Netherlands, if they both advance, We'll then play the uh, winner and runner-up of the group with Sweden, Italy, South Africa, and Argentina. And then after that, it's likely that both of the teams that advance from those round of 16 games will face Spain and Japan at some point in the near future because that's how the bracket is divided. Um, that There are real tests coming up. And so I don't know what the easier path through is going to be. You probably want to avoid Sweden and think that they're going to finish top of their group, but we don't know that for sure yet. So yeah, both the U.S. and the Netherlands will be trying to score a bunch of goals against Portugal and Vietnam, respectively. Yeah, Delicately poised is Group E, as we say. U.S. Netherlands in the top at the moment, Portugal in third with three points, and Vietnam eliminated from the group. One more game to talk about on this episode, and boy did it have five goals relatively evenly split. Australia 2, Nigeria 3. Drama! Drama in this one. Uh, Nigeria top of the group as the first African team to win at the tournament as well. They scored with their first chance at the end of the first half and it all went from there. This one was 3-1 to Nigeria in the 100th minute and Lana Kennedy made it 3-2 for a very fun ending, Graham. This was the most dramatic ending of the tournament so far, surely. Yeah, so you mentioned Alana Kennedy there. She was very much the main character <laughs> of this match. Where um, she basically does a murder on uh, <laughs> on Ohala when she she scores uh, the, the second Nigeria goal. She scores the, the as you as you say there, Ryan, the the hundredth minute stoppage time uh, header that keeps Australia kind of in contention going into the last game in this group. What else? She, she does a third thing. What's the third thing? I can't quite She's, remember. Uh, what the she third... kind of calls the three one goal as well with a uh, oh the, yes, the, that's the right. Yeah, the, the the defensive mix-up, it's her header that yeah. goes around the goalkeeper yeah. and, and, and then Ashawala um, finishes it off. I um, I thought Nigeria just did such a good job of making the most of the Australian mistakes, um, like the, the one for the third goal. I, I know it's a, a finish into an empty net, but I love the way that Ashawala just takes the extra half second before taking the shot just to allow... 
I don't know, just to allow like things to settle mm. and to anticipate the actions of the defender and, and of, of Kennedy and the goalkeeper trying to get back. And it just feels like it makes it an easier opportunity, even though the angle is a little bit tighter. I think if you watched yep. it, you would understand what I'm what I'm talking about. Um, and then O'Hala scoring, it's uh, showing, excuse me, such bravery for the second goal, where as I say, Alana Kennedy um, squarely kicks her in the chest. Um, I was actually a little bit concerned for her at, at, at a point when she's lying on the goal line, um, and it looked like she'd sustained a pretty bad injury. But thankfully, she got up. Um, yeah, very impressive from that Nigeria. I know it's a little bit strange to say this about a game they conceded two goals in, but I thought defensively the the resilience that they showed was was impressive as well. Forty five clearances in this match, but also so many tackles and interceptions and defensive actions made high up the pitch by the midfield three and and, and the wingers. Um, so yeah, Nigeria on the balance of play, you could argue were reactive in this match. I think Australia had something like 70% possession, Nigeria only had 30%. But in the moments that mattered, mm-hmm. I kind of thought they deserved the win, actually. Yeah, I would agree with with all of that, Graham, uh, including uh, Oshwala's goal. I think it's it's it looks easy because of that Kennedy uh, header giveaway, but it is a very tight angle that she has to finish into. I would also say it's a credit to Oshwala the way she puts the pressure on Kennedy. I ended up watching this goal maybe 15 times just to see what was meant to happen because Kennedy is definitely trying to head this uh back to her goalkeeper and it's it's just misheaded and I think it's because she has no idea Ashwala is there and has closed that ground because initially Ashwala is sitting on Hunt the other center back as Kennedy is sort of running back and then Ashwala puts that pressure on and it's right when Kennedy goes to head it does she I think realize oh there's someone right here on me and it puts her off and she mishits the header whether or not it was meant to be to hands or to feet it goes around the goalkeeper and then away goes Ashwala and it's a good finish and that to me was representative of Nigeria it's a hopeful ball in from Tony Payne who I thought was excellent but it was also Tony Payne who uh, routinely was the one to evade pressure to just sort of hold the ball up and find passes and slow things down and I felt like you're right Nigeria certainly not dominant on the ball by any stretch of the imagination but I felt like very smart in how they did utilize the ball how they did utilize the possession they had and then how they basically frustrated Australia on that note, I think Australia also answered the philosophical question of if Sam Kerr isn't there, but you play like she is, does she appear? Yeah. The answer is no. That if you basically play your style with Sam Kerr in there and have some good possession, but then go long or go long directly, but you're aiming for uh, Caitlin Ford, uh, she did fine, but she's just not going to be that next level difference maker that we know Sam Kerr can be. And I think Australia, I mean, this is not a not obvious take really, really suffering without Sam Kerr in there to just cause chaos and even just be that name that makes defenders nervous and puts them off and makes them make mistakes. The the absence of Sam Kerr really hurt Australia here, even as much as Nigeria themselves were able to hurt. Yeah. Them. And the even worse news for Australia is that um, Australia coach Tony Gustafsson says that a decision will be made on Sam Kerr on the day of the game against Canada that doesn't sound terribly positive. That doesn't sound like she's going to pl- play a big role in training or any role in training before that match. So yeah, Australia are up against it. And maybe this is what developing as the most surprising storyline of this tournament so far. One of the hosts, a-, a host nation that I would have said is like a tier two country in this mm-hmm. tournament, dropping out of the group stage would be a real, real shock. 
Yeah, definitely so. Straya in third place, as you say at the moment, Graham, and their final game is against Canada in second place. So very interesting final round of games, Graham. By the way, Alozi, the right back for Nigeria, wearing one black boot and one white boot during this game. Just pure <laughs> chaos. Like I- I'm not even sure what to make of that, whether I like that or hate that. It was just so chaotic. Isn't that a thing like the kids do now where odd colours should oh, joke? Can you can you report on this? You guys are really leaning into the to the kids thing these days, Ryan. I think you're are you entering some sort of midlife Careful. crisis and, and trying uh, to ooh. get in touch with the younger generation? Get what's him, going Joe. on? Get him. Well, yeah, it's obviously that. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, yeah. He filmed he, he filmed a video of his Mustang the other day and put it on Patreon. That's yeah. a sign of a midlife crisis if I've ever seen. I get one. that. I'm gonna, I get that. I'm gonna, yeah, it's it's all going that way. I'm gonna bleach my hair tomorrow. It's all. Uh, yeah. um, I'll move us swiftly away from this <laughs> just to say that uh, my. I previewed Nigeria. My specific prediction for them was that they would finish bottom of this group despite having the talent to get out. And that was because there was infighting in the squad between the former captain and the present captain. Uh, There was questions about the manager, his acumen, but also just him as a person. There's questions about the FA. Uh, It just, they hadn't been winning games. It just felt very... uh, like uh, there was a strong lack of unity basically. And, and I was concerned that they were basically just going to implode after their opening game. And I say all that to say that it, I give them even more credit that with all of the distractions, with all the issues they've had, uh, both of those players who have been fighting, uh, cause it's Oshwala and then, uh, Ebby who comes on at the very end making, I think she's the first player, uh, from Africa to play in six world cups. So to have both of them on the pitch and get to get this result, it's a testament to how strong this team is. I think this group of players is and how they've been able to sort of overcome a lot of the obstacles that had me nervous heading into this tournament. Excellent stuff indeed. Thank you, Taylor. One thing left to do on this episode, it's very specific predictions time. We're going to look at Argentina versus South Africa, England versus Denmark and China versus Haiti. Uh, Who wants to go first? How about uh, VSP lobbyist Graham Ruthven? Yeah, let's talk about that, <laughs> no, shall we? Have you all have you all seen that in the Discord? Graham, no. I'm calling you out on this one. Graham yesterday was like, yeah, 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 the Discord like totally agreed with me and gave me that point. As though Graham wasn't in there like, I'm counting that. And then somebody said, no, that doesn't count. And he argued back against them. <laughs> like, it was like when my toddler wants something and I'm like, no, you can't have it. And eventually I just am like, fine. You can have it if it stops so, you from screaming. Graham was the screaming toddler, and he got his point. I think, so congratulations, I think the I think the pushback was actually on Ryan, and I misinterpreted that, <laughs> that as pushback. I'm not sure what ha- what happened with one of your VSPs, Ryan. They're like the the the, the numerical gauge was like it was off deflection. By- deflection, Ryan. Don't buy the deflection. <laughs> it was the the uh, the line breaking passes and how they were recorded, essentially. So ba- so basically, what happened was Kenneth Sidon, who is kindly Legend. keeping track suck of the VSP, suck up for- from Graham. He, suck up from Joe he, as well. I see what's happening here. I'm last, man. He, what do I have to suck up for? I'm in, I'm trailing. <laughs> That's why you're sucking up. You're going to make up. So Kenneth said that he wouldn't be able to watch. I can't remember what what game was it. Nor it was it was a Norway game. Whoever they were playing earlier this week. Um, and so I was watching that match, and my VSP was that Caroline Grim Hansen would have a. Uh, fine I'll do it myself moment she beats four players and shoots from the edge of the box and almost scores that definitely definitely counts I was just tame. marking it Taylor I was just marking tame. it don't you think uh, I mean only four players lobbyist Graham Ruthven your pick for tomorrow please okay so I'm gonna go to the China Haiti match and um, I think both teams will be looking to break lines as often as possible in that game Haiti did this really well against England 
China perhaps surprisingly did it well against Denmark too. Had more uh, line breaks, completed line breaks in, the, in their first game against Denmark. So I'm going to predict there will be a combined 150 completed line breaks in this match. I'm, I'm hoping it will be an entertaining one. But how are we going to measure them and record them, huh? Hmm? Huh? The, the FIFA report is in the FIFA report. That's why I picked 150, oh, and I'll I'll good. let everyone know when I get the points. Very good. Uh, I'm going with England, Denmark. I'm going for the funnest metric: goals. There will be one goal or fewer in this game. Is my very specific prediction for the simple fact that England, not really scoring from open play, haven't uh, have only scored once in the last four games, and that wasn't from open play. Denmark's games tend to be pretty low scoring too. Needed a late goal against the aforementioned China to edge that one in the first game. Three of their last four games have been. One nils. I think this could actually be a nil-nil, uh, frankly, in this one. Uh, toughest opposition for England in the group. Not really firing all, on all cylinders. So one or fewer goals in that game. Taylor, your VSP. Uh, I did not like your VSP specifically because I wanted to steal it and use it for the Argentina-South Africa game, but that <laughs> felt unfair. Uh, so my specific prediction for Argentina-South Africa, Argentina will complete at least 275 passes and have a total passing accuracy above 75%. For reference, uh, against Italy, Argentina completed 248 passes. Their accuracy was around 71%. Against South Africa, Sweden managed a, a, a paltry 429 completed passes, 78% accuracy. I think this game, Argentina-South Africa, will be closer in the way it plays out to Italy-Argentina than the Sweden-South Africa game. I think Argentina and South Africa are more balanced. I think they both have strengths and vulnerabilities that the other can exploit. Uh, and so I think this is going to be a cagier game, but I think... Argentina will improve a bit, having gotten uh, the one game under their belt versus Italy. I think their numbers will be overall better. I still don't know if they will score for the concerns we talked about in that game and the way they build, but I think they will have a lot of slow possession uh, in the back and in and around midfield. Whether or not that trans translates to goals, I, I don't know for sure. <laughs> um, maybe counterpressing will do that, but I think they will have better passing numbers, better passing accuracy, even if they don't get a ton of goals in this one. Very nice. Joseph. Oh, it's me. Guys, it's me. I'm last. I'm the last VSP. My VSP is also for the <laughs> yeah. South Africa. I don't know. I uh, I didn't put one in the dock because I kind of forgot, and so I've been scrambling a little bit over here. Uh, my, my VSP is that South Africa's Hilda Magaya will have at least two shots. So she had one shot and scored a goal for South Africa in their opener against Sweden. She's one of the players that I spotlighted in my preview, along with Thembi Katlana, who likes to run in behind, like to be aggressive, I think South Africa will have a bit more of the ball in this game than they did against Sweden. I don't think they're necessarily going to dominate any of those attacking metrics, but we know this team likes to be direct. We know they like to play in transition. Magaya pops up in a lot of different spots, but is usually out on the left wing. She was one of the leading attackers in the first group stage game. I expect her to have an even, an even more, an even larger role really in this second game for South Africa as they try to get a first point. Marvelous stuff. Very specific predictions in the bag. Uh, Patreon.com slash Total Soccer Show if you want to follow along with those on the aforementioned Discord. And uh, Graham will argue with you for his <laughs> corner at all times. Graham Rutherford, thank you very much for your contributions on this here podcast. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. Joe Lowry, a pleasure as always, my good man. Right back at you, Ryan. And Taylor Rockwell, thanking you kindly, sir. Thank you, my friend. Thank you, the mostest listener. We'll be back on the feed, of course, with more Women's World Cup Daily tomorrow. But for now, bye! Bye!